The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's difpbham.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I am Tyler Brown, and this is episode number 33 of the series. Later in the show, I sit down with former Gamecock Riley Green, who is making his name on the country stage rather than on the gridiron these days. We're going to catch up with him, see what he's been up to since the pandemic put a hold on his tour, and what is next for the up-and-coming country star. His interview in just a few moments after some quick housekeeping notes and some news. If you missed last week's episode, my guest was JSU President Dr. Don Killingsworth. Get to know the university's 13th president and learn how his administration is preparing for the upcoming fall semester amid the COVID-19 pandemic. If you want to go give it a listen, all previous episodes of the podcast can be streamed at jsugamecocksports.com slash podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Also, a quick reminder that masks are and will continue to be required for all faculty, staff, students, and visitors throughout the JSU campus. Masks should always be worn properly and will be required indoors as well as outdoors when social distancing cannot be maintained. Silage has been placed in all buildings and areas indicating the mask requirements. Students and families are required to wear masks when visiting campus for tours and or attending orientation this summer. Please do your part in helping stop the spread of COVID-19. Please wear a mask. Some quick athletic news. The Gamecock football team reports to campus today, Tuesday, August 3rd, to begin fall camp. The team's first practice is scheduled for Wednesday, August 4th. As of now, the Ohio Valley Conference and Jacksonville State plans to proceed with football season as scheduled. JSU will kick off the season Thursday, September 3rd, against FIU in Miami, Florida. That's everything new happening around athletics, and now it's time for today's featured guest. Riley Green spent 2007 through 2009 wearing a JSU football uniform, but the former Gamecock is now an up-and-coming country star who had his first number one hit with There Was This Girl last summer. On the road with Jason Aldean to begin the year, the tour was canceled the second week of March due to the coronavirus pandemic. Since then, the former JSU quarterback has been spending time at home in Jacksonville working on new material. In this week's episode, Riley shares how growing up in Jacksonville helped him become a successful songwriter, why Jacksonville State is a special place to him, and what's next for him when things return to normal. Here is today's guest, Riley Green. Joining me on the podcast this week is country music singer, songwriter Riley Green. Riley, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us. Yeah, appreciate you having me. 
Riley, a uh, pandemic hit, you know, back in March, and that kind of brought things to a halt for you. What have you been doing since the pandemic? How's it kind of affected you and your tour? Uh, well, it's been life changing for me. You know, we were uh, we just got off tour with Bra- with uh, Jason Alding. My last show I played was at Florabama. I flew to Madison, Wisconsin. About the second week of March, uh, met with uh, the band, started doing sound check, and they told us that show was canceled. So we go back in the green room. I'm packing my stuff up. They tell us the rest of that weekend's canceled, and then they tell us the rest of the tour's canceled. So I jumped on a plane, flew to Nashville, got my stuff out of my house, and drove to Jacksonville, kind of wait, wait and see. And you know, it was it was very slow. You know, this the rest of this month is canceled. The rest of April, you know, and it uh it was kind of a waiting game because we'd have these shows on the books, and then we just steadily see them disappearing. You know, and get put in the fall, and keep getting pushed back. So. You know, when the realization came in, because I don't think people really knew how serious it was, when it really came in, this is a very serious deal and it's going to be around for a while. You know, it, it was it was really a, a breath of fresh air for me in the sense of getting to come home. Mm-hmm. You know, I built a house in Jacksonville in 2018, signed a record deal the next month. So I've been on the road well over 300 days the last two years. So getting to see the family and hang out, of course, I'm like everybody else. I got a little stir crazy after a month or so. Right. And uh you know, I started trying to use the time wisely and do some writing and brought some songwriters down, you know, and, and uh, you know, start working on a new album, things that I could control during this time and instead of just sitting here twiddling my thumbs. But it's uh, it's definitely it's, it's changed the, the my lifestyle dramatically. And like you said, kind of the positive is that you've got some time off. You've, you've got this home you've been able to stay in. You've been in Jacksonville a while, but I know you've done some offshore fishing. And uh, lucky for you, it kind of hit during the spring. You were able to get a little turkey hunting in, I assume. Oh, yeah. It was it was bad luck for the turkeys, but it was good for me. <laughs> I've, uh, I haven't had turkey season like this in a long time. But, yeah, I've, I've bought a little bit of property out here in Pleasant Valley where, where my house is. And I've just, I've just enjoyed being able to do all the things I wanted to do when I built this house, you know, and all the little projects and uh, hanging out with my family. They're, they're all still right here in Jacksonville. And like I said, I, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of fishing, a lot of hunting and a lot of just sitting around doing nothing. And it's, uh, it's, it's a break I didn't know I needed. What's it like to be able to get away from Nashville and be able to come back home to Jacksonville? It's, it's somewhere that you've always seemed to gravitate to. You, you went to school here, obviously it's your hometown. What's it mean to be able to come back and be able to kind of, in a sense, lay low and be able to be at home? Well, from a career standpoint, it's really helpful for me. You know, I, I've, I've said a lot of times that I, I attribute a lot of my success, especially on songwriting, to not having been in Nashville. And what I mean by that is you got a lot of guys that it's such a tough business, so competitive, and you got guys that move to Nashville and they start going and playing in these writers' rounds for free. They go play in bars for tips, and they live in some apartment. Rent up there is outrageous, and they just it's hard to even make ends meet up there. So you go up there, and you start struggling a little bit, and you go, man, what, what's working right now? And you look at the charts, and you see these top ten songs, and you go, man, maybe I should be doing something like that. Then you go write with these guys that write those songs, and they write songs like that. And I think that's the, the the negative to Nashville is everything becomes starts to sound the same after a while. You know, you got guys that are following trends, and I never did that. I just wrote songs about growing up in Jacksonville, growing up in Alabama, and and what I saw around here every day. And 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 I tried them out on these people in the crowds, whether it be at Loco Mex or the Gridiron or or Pelham's or Brothers or wherever it was. And that's how I kind of shaped my songwriting. So for me to keep this home base in Jacksonville and to keep coming back. It's easy to get caught up in what is Nashville, the business, how it's just a battle to stay relevant every day. And uh, there's just a million guys up there that are, you know, better singers than me. And, and, and it's just uh, such a competition. So for me to be able to come home and kind of 
step away from that for even a little bit of time helps me quite a bit, especially with my state of mind. And being a songwriter kind of sets you apart from a lot of country singers nowadays to where you, you write a lot of your own stuff. And that started from a young age. Your grandpa owned a music hall. You got involved with him. And then, like you were talking about, you played a lot of local places, local mechs, places like that. Tell me about when it all started growing up and what influence your grandpa had. And obviously, Grandpa's Never Died, that song uh, that you performed, you know, for the first time in front of a half-drunk bar, you know, and yeah. it, it became a big hit. Tell me about where that kind of all started and his influence. Well, I will say that I never thought I was going to be playing country music for a living. I was uh, I was really into sports growing up. I played football, baseball, and basketball. I can remember playing park and rec lead soccer because we didn't have peewee football when I was coming through Jacksonville. But uh, my granddaddy was just a big fan of music in general. Granddaddy Buford, he was uh, – he didn't play, but he had a guitar. You know, and he'd sit around, and me and him would just kind of try to figure it out. You know, and, and, and I can remember sitting on the porch of what is now the Golden Saw Music Hall. It was my great-grandparents' house. And he'd get grandmother to bring the yellow pages down, and he'd call up so-and-so that used to play the banjo or the guitar or the fiddle. And if they were still alive, they'd come over and play with us. And we started doing it every week. Uh, people started to come watch. We have a sawmill there. We built a stage, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And it's uh, it was a place for me to not only sit around and watch these guys' hands and figure out how they made chords, but also a, a little bit of a confidence, confidence builder for me because – I've never liked to hear my voice. I never thought I was a great singer. So for me to be able to get up in front of people and play and sing was a huge stepping stone for me and and uh, kind of a hurdle. And, and that was a good place to do it because they would cheer for me just because I was a kid up there with all these older older folks playing. But, uh, yeah, I, w I would say I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without my, my, my granddaddy's influence and, and some of the things that both my granddaddies taught me. So when I wrote I Wish Grandpa's Never Died, I was kind of – the values that they instilled in me, I was trying to put in that song. And uh, I was even fortunate enough I got to put both of them on it as songwriters. So they got songwriter credit on that song, which I thought was a pretty cool thing. Being in Jacksonville and playing some of those early gigs, what did that do for you? What was Jacksonville able to kind of lend you during that time? Well, uh, we've always said that Jacksonville State was kind of a 13th grade for us that went to Jacksonville <laughs> High School, you know. And uh, I tell people all the time, I was, uh, when I was, uh, I think, a, ninth grade eighth to ninth grade we played our high school football games at jsu's field we didn't have a home field yet at jackson high school so i was very ingrained in jsu you know all the way even back to being a young kid and uh the going to jackson state and, and playing a little bit of football i knew everybody you know in, in town so i always say when i went and played these bars people showed up every week and it wasn't because i was all that good they just knew it was going to be a good time. They knew that I was there, and, and I just knew everybody. So I, in the same sense, I got that kind of false confidence from these people that kept showing up to my shows. And that was where I started writing songs. Started, I got tired of playing the same covers every show, so I'd write something. And if they liked this, I'd try to write a song like that. And if they didn't like this line, I'd try to put something in it a little different. So uh, Jacksville probably helped me more than anything in the sense of being able to play these shows two or three nights a week in the same town and, and try new stuff and see really – what worked in a live show you end up going to jacksonville state you play some football here you're here from 2007 2009 tell me about your time on the football team with jacksonville state and i know you said it always been kind of a dream to play college football yeah i was uh i mean playing college football in your hometown is is definitely one of those things i laid down and slept and dreamed about at night but uh yeah i can remember coming up to two days uh they had 
too many quarterbacks up here. They had several quarterbacks, and I think a tight end had quit. So Max Thurman calls me and says, man, if you want to come get in two days, get in camp, start learning some plays, you can come in as a tight end. So uh, Adam Ross is my coach. I, it was miserable. I weighed about 175 pounds and, and uh, was pushing sleds around. I didn't know how to get in a stance. I can remember him telling me to get in a stance and me standing like a sprinter and making me run a lap until I could figure out how to get in a stance right. And uh, he'd probably tell that story better than me. But uh, I would say that what I got more than anything from, from playing football up here is accountability that an 18, 19-year-old kid didn't have, especially me. I mean, I, I'd always worked with my dad, and I had some of that instilled in me from growing up and, and, and working during the summer. But, you know, as far as having somewhere that I had to be on time and, and going to class and, and being at workouts at 5.30 in the morning, all that kind of stuff, that was something that I wasn't prepared for. And it's probably why my career didn't last any longer than it did. <laughs> but uh, it, I definitely learned a lot of accountability and, and, and grew up a lot in that little short two-year period. And, you know, I, I tell everybody that uh, I was never going to make it to the Dallas Cowboys, but it was something that I'm glad I tried. It's something I'm glad I can say I did. And I've got a relationship from it that I'll have the rest of my life. During that time where you're going to class, you're playing football, are you still writing and playing music? My writing back then was really, I don't know how to say it, it wasn't very serious. I was I was sitting around a campfire with my buddies and some of the football players and making up songs about everybody sitting around, you know, and, and it wasn't anything that I was writing with a purpose to have a song to play at a live show. I really wasn't playing a lot of my stuff at that time. It was kind of one of those things where, uh, I don't know what the first song was, but something, somebody said, man, play that song you made up the other night, and I'd do it on the stage, and you know, and it was really accidental getting into songwriting, and uh, through, you know, th through those those college years, I probably got had more experiences that I wrote about later, you know, and it's funny, my mom will always tell you I, all the trouble I got in when I was in high school and college, I told her I had to go do that stuff, so I'd have something to write songs about, so it kind of got me out of jail a little bit with her. <laughs> One of the first big hits that you had that you wrote yourself you did a lot of covers back then but and most recently this one's got the uh the studio treatment and the music videos bury me and dixie when did you first play that do you remember where you were at when it when you first played it on stage and thought well we've got something here yeah i was uh i was opening for marshall tucker band at zen park in aniston and uh i wrote that song the night before the show and I'd written a handful of songs before at that point, and I'd recorded a few of them. The studio quality was not what it is. I was a few hundred bucks, some studio in Fort Payne or somebody's garage or something. But uh, I remember writing the song and thinking that people would really, you know, it, it would make somebody feel a certain way that was from some of these places that I mentioned in the song. And uh, I played it at Zen Park. I think I forgot one line, but I almost made it all the way through. And people just, they just lost it. I mean, I had to stop several times and some people were cheering, you know. So that was the first time I can remember thinking, man, I can win people over at my shows with my writing. And that was probably a big moment for me because, I, I you know, I knew there were people that sang better than me. I knew there were people that were better at playing guitar and, and, and better at singing cover songs than me. So that was a way for me to stand out and think, well, hold on, I, I might can have a career, even if it's not me singing, writing songs. So that that moment for me probably pushed me a lot more into putting a lot of thought into my songwriting and trying to become a better songwriter. You've released a lot of songs. You know, we've played them here at JSU events for a long time, Barry and Dixie, uh, Georgia Time, songs like that, you know, that maybe some people don't know about unless they've gone through your Spotify and, you know, here recently really given it a listen. But uh, just recently, you signed with the Big Machine, a uh, huge record company, has a lot of great acts on it, past and present. 
Did that really kind of make it real for you when you inked that one? A record deal. Well, I can tell you this. I, went, I started going to Nashville, and, and my goal was to sign a publishing deal. Uh, I knew guys that were writing and getting paid to write songs. I still never thought I'd have a song on the radio. I didn't think I was a good enough singer to make it as, a, as an artist. So, uh, you know, I started taking meetings with publishing companies and because uh, I'd built a pretty good following at this point off songs that I'd written. And I started getting some offers from publishing companies. And uh, I think uh, around November of 2017, I was building my house here, traveling back and forth during the week. Uh, Big Machine came to a show uh, in Chicago. And I remember thinking, man, what good is that going to do? There's not going to be anybody in Chicago that knows me. Uh, 600 people showed up. Uh, Joe's Bar, a pretty pretty iconic place, and they sang every word to all those old songs, you know. Big Machine offered me a deal. Big Loud offered me a deal. Warner Brothers offered me a deal, and uh, Universal. So I had four record labels offer me a deal, and I never thought it would ever happen. So that, in a sense, for me, signing a record deal, I know that that was really just kind of the start of I thought I'd been busy before that. But it was, it was a little bit of a victory in itself because there's a lot, so many people that are trying to do that, that are out there trying to sign that record deal. And when I've got a company like Big Machine or, or, or whoever it would have been, get behind me and my music, I knew that there was – it was going to be a snowball effect from that. I knew that that was kind of the start of a career that I didn't think I was going to have. Tell me how fast last year moved. You released different around here. There was this girl is all over the radio. Tell me about what that was like at the time. Of, you know, was it surreal? Yeah, there, there was so many things that I accomplished in 2018, 2019 that I had never even dreamed about that. I really did. It, a lot of it didn't have time to sink in. I mean, you know, uh, I'd never been on a major tour before. I'd only played my own shows, so I get a tour with Brad Paisley. I, I mean, I went and played 40 dates with Brad Paisley in arenas. I mean, we're playing for 10, 15, 20,000 people every night. Uh, him calling me on stage to sing songs with him, him playing grandpas on the stage. I mean, just crazy stuff like that, playing the, the Ryman Auditorium, playing the Grand Ole Opry, uh, you know, selling out venues that I had gone and watched people play in, you know. Uh, there was this girl going on the radio. was a was a crazy thing. I was driving back from a hunting trip in Georgia and heard it at one of those Atlanta stations playing it for the first time. Uh, going to a lot of new places that, that I'd never been in hearing people sing these songs, and even songs like Georgia Time and Bear Man Dixie, you know, singing them in Maryland. That's just that was crazy to me, and, and still uh, I struggle with that. But uh, it was just getting a song on the radio is game changing. I mean it's a lot of things were going well for me and a lot of things were happening for me and there was a snowball but it's a whole lot faster when you get every radio station in the country playing a song and you know there was this girl went number one in canada before it went number one here you know what i mean like and i i went and played in canada to a sold-out show i mean it's crazy how fast things happen when they really buy into you as a new artist and you mentioned a big moment just a few minutes ago and i think it was a Big moment for your mother, and I think that's whenever she kind of realized how big things were, and it's when you played the Grand Ole Opry. Tell me about that experience and being on that stage. Yeah, my uh, both of my grandmothers got to come, and my granddad Lyndon was still living then. He got to come, and uh, you know my parents and 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 uh, a few few friends, and it was uh, I, I played a lot of big venues and a lot of places that that had a special feel to them. But the Grand Ole Opry and Ryman Auditorium itself is just a really iconic place so for me to get to go play that show for me was very meaningful but probably more so to my parents and grandparents and I can remember that was kind of when I became famous to my grandparents was when I played the Grand Ole Opry that was like that was a big deal because that was such a I mean almost fictional place growing up them talking about that you know and, and 
So it was that was a really cool moment for me and kind of one of those things like having a number one song. I, I kind of always felt like it was a it was an accomplishment, but it was also kind of like a well, I've done this now, so y'all can stop listening to my music, stop playing my songs on the radio, stop coming to shows. But I've done this; you can't take that away. You know that was a that was one of those things that I'll always have. You've always been very generous to JSU after the tornadoes. You donated a lot of money to help with the relief. You played the JSU Strong Alabama concert here. You also played the homecoming concert at the baseball field at Jim Case Stadium. Tell me about why you keep coming back. Why is why is Jacksonville State such a special place that you continue to give to it and perform for it? Well, for one thing, I, I don't I don't know that I've even feel good saying I donated any money. Everybody else donated the money. I just went and played, and they bought a ticket. You know, it's it's such an easy thing for me to go play a show. You know, I mean, especially here. I mean, for me to be able to say I get to come home to play a show, well, I would do that for free all time, all day because I don't got to get on a plane to get there. But uh, you know, the the tornado was a, was a an odd deal for me because I was here living here when the tornado that came through Tuscaloosa was it 2011 uh, year that was that did so much damage out in Webster's Chapel out past Pleasant Valley where I live and I saw it I saw the damage you know here firsthand and when this tornado came uh, here recently that did so much damage to JSU I was in Nashville and I was calling my mom and dad telling them hey looks right here they, they didn't have power and they still live back in the avenues near the college and I was watching the news and keeping up with it, and I saw the damage on the news, and I thought, ah, well, that's looked pretty bad, but not not too bad. Mm -hmm. And I drove home that morning, and then I saw it, and that was kind of the thing for me is that I, I did the the news didn't do it justice, you know, and and I wanted to do a concert, and, and immediately I started talking about the Alabama concert up here at the stadium, but that was going to be months away, and I wanted to do something right then because not only would it be a good little surge of you know some some cash to, to kind of help start things but also i just want to put attention on it you know it, 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 the fortunate thing for me is i've got a good fan base and the the southeast has been really good to me and i just wanted to go out and say hey look y'all need to go check this out because it's a lot worse than you realize mm -hmm. and uh you know it, it's it's a it's an easy thing for me like i said to go play a show iron city in birmingham was good enough to let us have the venue for nothing uh, they donated security and staff so we were able to raise i think i was 75 thousand dollars on, on that show and uh you know all i do is go play and sing country songs and and, and we had a great time the some of the uh athletic department came out coach gross came got on the stage and we all sang you know and it was a, it was a good time but that was that was kind of how that one went for me and then to be able to play with alabama and jamie johnson and that whole bunch at the the benefit concert at jsu was uh you know that was an honor for me to get to get on stage with them that was great and then the the coming back uh, show the homecoming show at the baseball stadium weather was not the best but man I, I that was some of the worst weather i played a show and it was cold raining the entire time and the crowd stayed through the entire thing and that was so cool it, it's just for me it's a it's an easy way to help out and 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 just draw attention on things like how nice the baseball stadium is now you know and that's why i wanted to do that there and uh you know if i can give a little money to the university it's you know, I'll get to play a lot of shows the rest of my life. I can come play at home and help out around here. That's just the easy thing for me to do. Randy Owen, Jamie Johnson, Riley Green. What does it mean to be a part of that fraternity of fantastic performers and songwriters? And what is it about Jacksonville State that keeps turning out these fantastic country artists? Well, I, that's, that's one of the first times my name's been in that group, so I, I don't mind that. I, I don't mind staying there, but... Uh, man, I, you know, Alabama, how many number ones, uh, the career they've had, 
Randy is is such a giving person. All he does with the Country Cares and the uh, St. Jude. I mean, he pretty much started that whole program over there. And I got to go out and visit uh, St. Jude in Memphis and see kind of how much he really has his hands on that. Uh, and all he does for JSU is is uh, something that I kind of strive to be in the sense of what I can accomplish here. And Jamie was one of my biggest influences as an artist. I mean, uh, I always try to compare I Wish Grandpa's Never Died to In Color, you know, like in the sense of that song's given me this career, that, that one song, you know. So maybe I hope I can have a few more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, it's it's such a such a amazing group of talent those two guys and, and and the fact that they were JSU guys it's not surprising to me because I've got to attribute a lot of my success to what I was around I mean that's how I wrote songs you know I, I didn't I didn't travel abroad and come up with these ideas I did it here you know so I mean I, I assume that you know the songwriting aspect of just living here and the the type of people that are here and the type of relationships and you know what you learn and see every day before we got started you were talking about some of the notoriety you've gotten. And for me personally, we've always played your music here at JSU. But there was at one point I went home last summer to Tennessee and my mom was in the house singing There Was This Girl. And then uh, the first time I heard Grandpa's Never Died was because a Facebook friend had shared the video. And my fiance turned the phone around and said, is this Riley Green? And so you're beginning to pop up everywhere. And recently you were in Panama City. And uh, I think you got mobbed a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny. I, I mean, it's my success, and, and, and I use the word notoriety. People recognizing me out has been such a gradual thing because, I mean, in Jacksonville, people have known me for a long time, you know, and, and then it became northeast Alabama and then just sort of the southeast in general. And I'm always expecting to get recognized if I'm playing a show in Athens, Georgia, and I go to the restaurant next door, you know, that, that kind of thing happens. And we even have a, a little wig on the bus that if I want to try to sneak out <laughs> to a bar after the show, we'll th it doesn't work too well. But, uh, but I, it, the, the, it was, it, yeah, we went down to Panama City and spent a few days and went to Pier Park. And, you know, I, I really feel like it, it, what you see, I notice now is you'll be somewhere and there'll be somebody recognize you, a fan. And, hey, I'll, I'll take a picture with anybody. I mean, I'm, when I was doing construction work for a living and living in Jacksonville, nobody wanted a picture with me, so I don't mind it too much now. But we were standing outside of a restaurant and, and a, a handful of people came up, take a picture, and then people started to notice kind of the commotion. And, you know, I always say that I bet you there's a handful of people that don't even know who I am. They just know I'm somebody, so they come get in line and take a picture. And, uh, you know, we even had people driving up down the street, you know, yelling at the balcony when I was out on the porch, just looking for us down there. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, my my demographic, my fan base is that younger generation that's probably down at the beach for spring break. But also, uh, nobody has anything else to do. You know, everybody's quarantined, just trying to get out of the house, so they're riding around looking for me at the beach. But it's uh, I've I've had several people that are a lot smarter than me say when people stop asking for pictures, when you got to worry. You know, as long as they want to, you know, it means something to somebody. I'm happy. Do you think that'll ever get old, or do you think that's something that you'll always enjoy? It'll get old. I mean, it, it gets old, but. Uh, you know, it's not for the sense of uh, for somebody that has never been around it. It's not that it's annoying to take a picture, to see a fan, or somebody come tell me anything that I'm doing means something to them is an awesome feeling. And that part doesn't get old. I always struggle with the, like it being in a restaurant and and a t and standing up and like being the center of attention. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoy it on the stage, and I you know I get plenty of it. So every once in a while, I like to kind of go low profile and 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 not be the the guy in the room and. Uh, it's hard to do that when people are taking pictures with you, but 
like I said, I you know it's it's a it's a good problem to have and a small price to pay to be able to do what I'm doing for a living. Once uh, the quarantine's over and things you know hopefully in the near future die down a little bit, what's next on the schedule for you? Well, we're you know we're, we're kind of dipping a toe, so to speak, back into playing shows. We've we we did a private gig in uh, Michigan last week. You know, everybody had masks on. Everybody was socially distant. There were boats parked out in the in the lake up there. It was uh, it was it was I, I was really skeptical of how people were going to do these type of things. I've had some offers to go do some uh, drive-in concerts. I may have heard of people doing those. Alan Jackson did one not too long ago, and we'll probably do some stuff like that. I I, I sincerely hope this isn't something that just changes the way we go see concerts. But in the meantime, you know, I, yeah, you gotta kind of change up how you do things. We've uh, we've got two shows in Missouri this week, and both of them are the county fairs. I'm sure they're in really rural areas where there's you know not a whole lot of cases in the first place, but you know they they found a way to go and and let people be socially distant while enjoying music and getting out of the house and being outdoors and you know that's not only great for me but I think it's great for everybody because I know people are tired of being cooped up. My my tours have have gotten a little skewed. So I did the tour with Brad Paisley in uh, 18. I did a about a half a tour with John Party in in 19. And then I went on tour with Jason Aldean in 19. Uh, my schedule was to finish this year out on my tour, which all that's getting kind of postponed, and go on tour with Thomas Rhett in 2021. And that was a big tour. It was like 45 dates. It was all arenas. It was going to be a, a huge tour. And, and you know, people are always, you know, you, I, I read the comments on social media, and it's they want me to go out with Luke Combs, and, and, and I'm a huge fan of Luke. And, you know, Thomas is a little different type of music than me. You know, it's a little poppier. And people are like, man, that's not that good of a fit. And what they don't realize is, like, for Luke Combs to pay me good money to go open for him doesn't really make very much sense because we have the same fan. You know, but with, with Thomas, he's got a different demographic than me. He's got a lot of 16 to 40-year-old women in his shows that, you know, just follow him and his wife on social media and their kids and all that stuff. So it's a good fit for me because I get in front of a new fan, but also I bring a new fan to that show. So that was something I was really looking forward to, and I'm sure we will end up doing at some point. But because his tour with this year got canceled, he had Cole Swindell with him. Cole moved to 21, and I actually got a personal phone call from Dirk Bentley asking me to go with him. So a very good fit, I think, but I'm a big fan of Dirk. So I'm going out with Dirk's in 2021 for basically the same amount of dates as I was Thomas. So uh, that's that'll be something I'm really looking forward to. And actually, any any show, I would go out with anybody at this point. You know, I would go play at the Rocket Barbecue if they'd let me right now. <laughs> I know Greg Sides would enjoy a show at the Rocket. Yeah, I mean, I'll wait till he's there eating before I go in there and play. <laughs> well, during this meantime, when uh, you know there's not a lot of dates, not a lot of places people can go see you. Where can they find you on the internet? To listen to your music. Uh, well, most people follow me on Instagram. My handle is Riley Duckman. That's, uh, some people think that's my last name, actually, when I travel around. Uh, RileyGreenMusic.com has got all of our merch, where, uh, you know, videos. I'm, I'm always posting videos of new songs. I'm always trying to, you know, kind of control what I can control and, and just sitting around writing and, and bouncing new songs off fans in any way I can. Uh, you know, got music on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Amazon, everything like that. So, you know, if you type in Riley Green or Riley Duckman anywhere, you can come across something to listen to, I'm sure. And I'll try to try to keep putting songs out as uh, as much as I can in the meantime. Well, Riley, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. I know it's been a 
a little bit of an early morning, but uh, glad that you're able to come in and spend some time with us. Yeah, man, it's nice to get up before noon and, and, and see what the morning <laughs> looks like. So I appreciate y'all having me, give me a reason to get out of bed. Well, Riley, I hope you enjoy the rest of the summer. Hope everything goes well for you, and we look forward to seeing you on tour. Appreciate it, bud. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. I hope that you and yours are healthy, and I will talk to you again next week. I'll be back Tuesday with a brand new episode and another guest. With that, I'm Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening, and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.